Download a podcast from Relay FM recorded Thursday, September 14, 2017. This is episode 21, Like Being in a Star Wars Movie. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell. I am joined this week by two wonderful guests, writer at Stratechery. It's Ben Thompson. Ben, welcome to Download. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Happy to be here. And author of iOS Access for All, and one of my colleagues, a Mac user back in the day, Shelley Brisbane. Hi, welcome to Download. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right, let's get to it. These are the most interesting tech stories of the week as chosen by me and by download producer Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Jason. Did you uh, take care of the download pillow fort while I was in Cupertino earlier this week? I did. It was it was difficult, but everything is still uh, safe and secure and, and uh, soft and gentle mm. here at Download HQ. Yeah, dogs can knock it over. That's the problem with building it out of pillows. It, we dogs. have some structural issues. We're yeah. uh, let's talk about uh, the Apple event because that happened this week, and 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 so I think we need to talk about it a bit. Uh, so our first topic, I want to talk about the iPhone. Of course, the star of the show in so many ways. The at the September Apple event, the iPhone. This week, Apple unveiled the iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and the iPhone 10, spelled X. And uh, so three phones from Apple, three all, you know, brand new phones. Very interesting. And I wanted to start with with that. And let's start with the iPhone 10 because that's up on the high end. This is a $999 phone to start. It's got an OLED display that takes up most of the screen. The home button is gone, which means that Apple has rethought a lot of the uh, interface assumptions that have been there since the start. And I would love to hear what your take is on the iPhone 10. Uh, ben, what do you think? Well, it's, it's certainly an interesting device. I think that... Uh I, one thing I'm just interested in, sort of from a big picture business perspective is I've long been curious how far sort of up the pricing scale Apple can go because, you know, the, the, everyone talks about, oh, Apple's owned the high end, owns the high end, owns the high end. There's some aspect of that where people who are choosing Apple, by definition, price is not their top priority. And given that, uh, you know, how much are they willing to pay? And, and, you know, Tim Cook has said multiple times in earning calls and things like that, that they don't really know what true you know, first quarter iPhone demand is because they're always sold out every single time. And, and, you know, sort of the, well, if you're always sold out, what happens if you raise the price? Theoretically, that should lower demand, but, you know, they raised the price of the iPhone 7 Plus last year and actually share shifted towards the plus. Mm -hmm. So I just, I'm fascinated from this, this sort of like coming in at the very high end and, I don't. I'm curious. I almost think it's going to be more popular than Apple maybe expects or almost hopes. You know, we've heard rumors about that they they can't produce that many of them, just because I think people who buy iPhones they want the best iPhone, and I don't. I'm not sure they're going to be satisfied with a new, still very good iPhone as if they know there is a better phone out. Uh, you know, better iPhone out there. It's funny because the iPhone eight and ten are not substantially different in terms of the kinds of specs that people who read specs look at. I mean, there are obviously <laughs> features that are on the 10 that are nice and shiny and that some people absolutely uh, pay a premium for. Uh, and then Apple faces the probable and probably already beginning backlash of a, a mainstream folks who say, the $1,000 iPhone, how can a phone possibly be worth $1,000? And to, to 
some extent, they're right. But I do think Apple has some room to play in the high end and always always has. Um, so I, I think a lot of the people, by the way, who feel like the iPhone 8 is uh, a, sec- a, a poor also ran to the iPhone 10 in terms of what you're choosing are probably people who have the iPhone 7. So if you are somebody who hasn't gotten a phone in a couple years or even longer, I think the iPhone 8 looks a lot better by comparison. And by the way, there's a there's a premium on the iPhone 8 too. It's not up to $1,000, but it is higher than the iPhone 7 was when it was announced. So um, it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I've always sort of staked out my interest in the value part of the Apple world, a niche within a niche, I guess. Uh, and I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the pricing and the lower and, and middle ends, just in terms of like what people are willing to pay, even though their budget might be strained a bit. And I, I guess I'm becoming uh, more inured to the idea that there is a $1,000 phone out there and that it's not for everyone, but for the people that are interested in it, uh, it probably won't seem like a, a great deal of money. But as I say, there's, there's certainly a lot of backlash to be had among people who just find it sort of uh, existentially arrogant that Apple charges what it charges for things, but uh, they probably weren't going to buy the thing anyhow. It's funny, looking at the specs of the iPhone 8, it very clearly, if the iPhone X didn't exist, this would have been a standard Apple product launch. It is iterative in a lot of ways. It's better than last year's model. The uh, the A11 Fusion or A11 Bionic processor is that much faster. You know, Every year, there's a faster Apple-designed processor inside. And Shelley makes a really good point, which is uh, a lot of people in the tech industry and tech journalism always do the compare, like I just did, between this iPhone and the previous iPhone. But so many iPhone purchases are driven by people upgrading from two or three years ago and not people who are, I think it's a much more rare group that is upgrading every single year to it. And But even then, I'd say by the standards of a normal Apple product cycle, the iPhone 8 would seem to be a perfectly reasonable next, you know, one year on in iteration. Um, I think the question mark is the iPhone 10. what motivates people to buy an iPhone, right? Ben, you mentioned this in passing, that that. Who are the iPhone buyers and are they people who want the best phone possible and will pay for it? Or are they people who are a little bit price sensitive and will, you know, basically, is anybody going to buy the iPhone 8 and who is that versus the iPhone 10? I don't know. I don't know if Apple knows or if this is this a gamble. Is Apple, you know, risking uh, falling into this weird uncanny valley where people don't want to pay for the iPhone 10, but they don't want the iPhone 8? I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely think it's think it's a gamble. I mean, and your point about the iPhone eight is is well made. I think it's it's a great upgrade. I mean, you, the camera is better, also the new sensor and the wireless charging. You forgot to mention, which I think is going to be right. you know a real obviously it's not new to Apple, but I th- you know I think it's going to be something that's very popular you know broadly and it, it's it's a very demoable sort of feature where you get it oh this has that and my my old one doesn't uh but but yeah the, the uncanny valley i think is a really great was a really great way to put it because you say who buys the iphone and something that i think is increasingly clear is there there's it's it's not enough to just say the high end there's different kinds there's different sorts of of, of high-end customers and I kind of put it into three buckets when I when I wrote about this week. One is the we, we've kind of talked about people who who just want the best possible iPhone and, and people in like the tech press and tech pundits and the, the sort of folks that people listening to this podcast probably listen to or probably are themselves. Mm-hmm. I think mostly fall in that category. I think a big a big category that I've been paying a lot of attention to for the last couple of years is in, in Asia broadly and in China in particular, where the phone 
as status symbol, as sort of luxury item, is a substantially bigger part of its uh, of its selling package, why you want to buy it. And one thing that was really fascinating about the iPhone 7 is that the iPhone 7 was actually a, a very big success. It grew between like 15 and 20% all over the world in every single region Apple sold in except for one and that was China and it was still it was, it was down again it was down less than the success was down but it was it, it was still down and i think a big part of that is the 7 looked like the success which looked like the 6 and I th- I wouldn't be surprised if this ten comes out if a big portion of sort of the early the early stock goes to China and that there's going to be a lot of demand for it and it's so visually stunning I mean and that's going to be something that I think is going to be going to be a big deal and but and there's just two of the high end markets and there's all the other markets that that they just talked about you know that are sort of more aspirational or they like the iPhone uh, they might be more budget conscious where they they don't want to spend that much on a phone or they might be relatively low income in a lower income country where they aspire to an iPhone but for now the best you know they can get an iPhone success now that that's, that's significantly cheaper in that respect the fact the iPhone eight looks similar is almost an advantage because it, if you're buying a new iPhone or a two-year-old iPhone, it still looks like a new iPhone. And, and that's, you know, I think is actually a positive. I'd be fascinated to know what happens during that period when the 8 is available and the 10 is not yet available, because as you say, it, it looks gorgeous, but it's going to look much more gorgeous by comparison to the iPhone 8 or 7 that's sitting right next to it. And also when people are shopping for a new phone at this time of year, are they going to say, well, I'm going to wait for the 10, not only because it's not shipping right away, but because there might even be scarcity uh, through the early part of next year, especially if you're right that they allocate a lot of that stuff to China in, in the U.S. And, and other countries that might not get that. So what do you do? Do you buy an 8 now or do you wait for the 10 because you, you want the newest, hottest thing? Uh, or do you do you feel like you need to, as a buyer, compare them? It kind of depends on uh, how eagerly you've been waiting to, to get a phone, whether the 8 is what you want because it's time to get another phone or whether you say, you know, that 6S or that 7S or that 7 Plus that I have uh, is just fine and and I'm going to wait patiently or somewhat impatiently uh, for the 10 to arrive. And then I'm going to save up my pennies and I'm going to feel like it's a, a good buy at that point. I think you're on to something, though. I think the iPhone 8 market is the upgrader market. The And, and I think that's the market that carried the iPhone 7 in many respects. People who it's time to get a new phone, I'm going to go get an iPhone. They got the iPhone 7. And and that was a that was a real market over the world. And they wanted an iPhone. They didn't consider another one. Maybe, maybe it's because of iMessage. Maybe it's because they're, they're used to it. Maybe because of the app ecosystem. Whatever the reasons might be, they are focused on getting an iPhone. And it's time to get a new iPhone. And they got a new iPhone. And to the extent that market exists, that is what I think will carry the iPhone 8. Remember, we've been in the situation before with the 5S and the 5C, where the 5C was available for pre-orders and the 5S was not. You had to line up to, 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 to get the 5S. And in that case, there really wasn't the demand for the 5C. And, you know, Apple thought they'd sell a ton of them. I thought they'd sell a ton of them. They ended up realizing that all the demand was for the 5S, not for the 5C, because the 5C wasn't, it wasn't the best iPhone. And to the degree that there's that sort of larger population of just, it's time to upgrade the phone. I think that's going to, that will decide if there's a difference between the 5C and the 8, if the 8 will be the 5C fate, or if the 8 will be sort of successful in its own right. A lot of the hot takes out there, and you know they're coming and they'll be there uh, because it's inevitable. I, I saw a piece on, I think, The Verge that was, the headline was essentially, I'm not buying the iPhone 10, which is like, well, thanks for telling us and putting that in a story. Everybody makes buying decisions themselves. But, you know, as silly as it is to say, just because you're not buying a phone doesn't mean that somebody else might not 
not want to value it. I, I do think it is fair to, to ask that question that we've been asking here, which is, is this a breaking point for some people who are used to buying the very best iPhone every year or every other year who are now going to kind of shy away from it? And I don't know. My gut feeling is that if, if some of those people drop out, they're probably still going to buy an iPhone and it might be the iPhone 8 or it might be an iPhone next year instead of this year, but I'm not sure that I'm that I, I believe that Apple daring to have its top of the line phone be $9.99 and up is going to drive people out of the Apple ecosystem as much as maybe change buying behavior a little bit. And, you know, buying behavior is changing anyway with in the U.S. with the subsidies going away and being replaced by various replacement plans and financing plans or just buying the phone outright. I, I think the behavior is already changing, so it may just shift around. But uh, Apple does risk suppressing iPhone 8 sales if, if it, the reality is that most of their uh, brand new iPhone buyers are going to the high end. You, you make a good point, though, that you know the worst case scenario is that this quarter sales are so, are kind of depressed. Like, but yeah, where, I mean, where are these where are these buyers going to go? Is someone going to switch you know ecosystems completely because they had to wait to get the iPhone 10 that they wanted, or because a really great iPhone, you know, was, was happened to be the second most expensive. Uh, I, I think I, I agree that sort of the larger big picture risk is, is much smaller than the sort of short term, what's going to happen in the next 12 weeks sort of question that, that, at least that I was driving to on talk about risk. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it is not every day that the manufacturer of one of the most popular um, consumer products in the world changes its sales approach it does happen but like for apple this is a big deal this is more than uh, this is basically two-thirds of their revenue and they are uh they are taking some chances with this in order to have this iphone 10 out in the market and uh and we'll see i want to talk more about some of the features in the iphone 10 because i think it's really interesting but before we do that let me take a break quick break and tell you about one of our sponsors this episode of download is brought to you by MailRoute. MailRoute is a secure hosted email filtering service that you can have up and running in just 10 minutes gets rid of spam and viruses so you don't have to you don't need to install any hardware or software to use MailRoute. there are no costly upgrades uh, or updates they take care of all of it in the cloud so you don't have to they have a 24 7 support team in case you need any help they have fantastic reporting tools and notifications so that you can keep track of everything that's going on with your filtered email for example they send you an email with everything that you filtered out and with one click you can have it delivered to you but what i like to do is look at the subject lines to see what's the latest in spam trends so for example this week i got a classic in all caps reply as soon as possible i got a please update your in information and i think maybe my favorite is i got from mrs hilda benson i don't know who that is but i'm glad she's sending me spam anyway MailRoute has four data centers with 3x redundancy to take care of your email there's no single point of failure uh, they keep their servers running at no more than 33 percent capacity so they can handle the spikes and that's because they are smart at MailRoute. they have lightened the load on my server they can do it for you too the spammers don't connect to your server to de- try and deliver and fail that's the other thing that people don't know sometimes uh, what the worst thing that happens with spam servers is that they ke- are constantly connected and trying to send mail, hoping to find a valid email address, and that can bog down your server and your server connection. 
guess what? MailRoute takes the hit for you. So go to MailRoute.net slash DownloadFM today, find out more, and sign up for a 30-day free trial. And you can get 10% off your account for the lifetime of your account with MailRoute. That's right. It doesn't expire. It goes on as long as you're a MailRoute customer. They'll even price match a competitor's contract. MailRoute.net slash DownloadFM. And thank you to MailRoute for supporting Download. All right, so the iPhone 10 does have a lot of very interesting features that we've not seen before on an Apple product, and I wanted to a- ask about your reaction to them. And let's start with Face ID. They're re- replacing Touch ID with a new biometric system that uses a bank of sensors in the forward-facing camera and the little notch that's the only non-screen part of the front of the phone to identify, to texture map your face, to put little infrared dots all over it and do a, a map. It's like uh, you're in a Star Wars movie, except it's happening on your phone and in real real time uh so face id replaces touch id and it leads to other interesting features now that it can recognize your face so face id shelly what do you think about face id are you excited are you skeptical i guess i'm uh skeptical leaning toward excited i think it's it's really an interesting idea and it it feels like it kind of had to happen um i expect a wave of people trying to game face id and doing so in youtube videos and other (laughs) uh, venues it's going to be super fun uh, a lot of what I do is cover accessibility, so I'll point out that a lot of my, my blind friends were asking questions about how that would uh, work with folks who either have prosthetic eyes or whose eyes are closed a lot of the time. And uh, I, a couple people who have talked to Apple have been assured that that is not going to be an issue. Obviously, we'll have to see how it works in practice, but I was glad to hear that Apple had uh, some response ready when that question came up, as opposed to every once in a while you get a feature that's related to, that has an accessibility implication, and there's a sort of stone silence while you wait for a response and that didn't happen in this case so that's great i'm looking forward to seeing how well it works and if it is secure as advertised i don't have any reason to feel uh uh, you know big brother lurking or bad things occurring uh and apple has a good track record for which i will you know give them goodwill until i am proven wrong uh, yeah, Stephen uh, Aquino wrote a piece about it because he was there and he writes a lot about accessibility and I, he doesn't have d- definite answers for that. But I would be shocked, given Apple's uh, past commitment to accessibility, that there would not be they wouldn't have been thinking about things like perhaps turning off, for example, if it can't detect attention if your eyes are closed or, uh, or you know, something like that, that you could perhaps uh, tweak it a little bit so that the attention detection goes off or something like that in accessibility settings. But we'll have to see how it is. Yeah, I- Stephen pointed out that specifically, if you have difficulty, uh, if the touch ID, if voice face ID requires you to have multiple shots taken. And if, for example, you have issues moving your face or your neck, uh, that you can set it so that it will respond to only one photo. So that was an interesting detail that I hadn't heard. But other people who've spoken to Apple have confirmed or at least gotten similar information to Stevens. Ben, what do you think about Face ID? Well, I, I, honestly, I'm I'm most excited about Face ID uh, coming to like the that, that new Apple display or or oh, yeah. the, the MacBooks, uh, and hopefully getting rid of the Touch Bar. But we won't we won't go we won't get into that. Uh, the, the as far as the phone goes, I have full confidence it's going to work very very well. I mean, the, we already saw Apple you know just really crush it with with Touch ID and then Touch ID two. I'm sure FaceTime will work. I'm sure it will work well or Face ID. Sorry, the I, you know it's interesting to hear people th- this. 
the speed with which sort of FUD spread about this was amazing. You know, like oh, yeah. Apple, your your face is not getting uploaded to Apple. Uh, it uses infrared. It's using the like, the depth of your face and th- like the shape of your face. So at least in theory, it shouldn't have any problem dealing with different uh, skin colors or or ethnicities uh, and, and things like that. So I mean, I, I I'm pretty confident it's going to work very well. My sort of concern. I mean, it's not a concern. It's sort of. I don't be sad about about the, the the touch the touch going away, and this is you know to be frank, it really is a trade off between you know form and function. Like the 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 new iPhone 10 looks amazing; it has that edge edge screen. But by virtue of it looking amazing and having edge edge screen, we're giving up what I suspect will always be a slightly easier and slightly faster way to do it. That's more useful in more places, and I think. Apple Pay is a great example. I mean, Apple Pay is has rolled out pretty extensively here in Taiwan. It's, it, you can actually use it use it a lot, and the, where you can hold a phone up and the phone is triggered by the reader, and you just put your finger on it. This is so much more convenient than that weird like you got to first set it and then look at it and then put it down. Like it just, I, I think Touch ID will always have advantages, and it's just a trade off that had to be made to get this sort of screen. And uh, you know, I'm a little little bummed about that, but I can understand it. Yeah, the detail is uh, – details are going to be interesting. And, of course, this is what I always say when I write about this stuff and talk about it afterward. It's like, well, people say, how did this look? And it's like, well, it looked great, but it looked great on an Apple phone held by an Apple employee using media. The background colors and the photo samples are all chosen by Apple. Like, it is the best possible light that they're putting this in. And so you never really know what's going to happen in the real world. For example, Touch ID sounded great. And it is great, but uh, we didn't – it took – it took use for us all to realize that if you do the dishes and then try to unlock your phone while your hand is wet, it doesn't really work very well. And, you know, there are going to be issues like that with Face ID, too. And the, the big mystery is... Is it basically comparable to Touch ID, or is it better in some areas and worse in others, or is it across the board worse? If it's across the board worse, then yeah, that's that's bad. My guess is that it's probably going to be a little bit all over the place, where there are going to be a lot of scenarios that it's perfect, and then there are going to be those scenarios where you're like, oh, but it's totally, like you said, screwed up the the uh, Apple Pay flow that I use at my store, where I just reach in and you know basically treat my phone like a little slab with a thumbprint reader on it and go ding and then move on with my life and now i have to look at the phone give it the eye <laughs> yeah this is okay to right as if this. apple pay doesn't have enough sort of awkwardness especially right. if you're not sure if it works the oh, the other thing though that that to, to on the positive side because i just kind of point out the negative and it's always easy to see the negatives when there's when there's a switch i think face id when it works and when it's you know suits the situation it really is in other many respects a real leap forward because what's happening is you are using your phone, you're just using your phone, and, and the computer is smart enough to know that it ought to unlock and it ought to prepare the phone for your use. Right. If anything, I, the, the one thing that sort of confused me after to see how, it's, how, how it is in practice is the you first unlock it with your face and then you still have to swipe up. Uh, I would be interested if there's going to be like a setting or some option where once you look at it, it immediately goes back to where you were. So you don't have to do that extra swipe up because right. to me, that's really fulfilling the promise of Face ID where it's making it utterly and completely seamless yet totally secure. And and that is that's sort of computers at their best when they're 
abstracting away things you used to have to do because they can do it better without you even have to think about it. I feel like there's a, a very Apple feature, which is the which is the ideally, rather than thinking what kind of biometric in- indicator can we put on this phone? Instead, they're like, what would be the ideal way you unlock the phone? And the answer is, you don't do anything and it knows that it's you. Exactly. <laughs> right? That's the goal. Exactly. And then that's that's the that's the sort of uh that that's the ideal. If they can achieve that, then, you know, I think we'll we'll we'll, ease, we'll there will still be places where touch ID is nice, especially if the phone's kind of a weird like my phone is on the desk and I you know, I often will put my finger on it because something I want to look at something or whatever, and now I'm going to actually pick it up and put it in front of my face and that's going to be kind of a pain. But if you get that seamlessness all the rest of the time, seamlessness is and convenience is incredibly valuable and makes up for all kinds of other deficiencies. I think it'll be interesting to see how people who have Apple Watches, and I'm not one, uh, interact with their phones differently because with the watch, they've been able to do Apple Pay without having to pull the phone out of the pocket. We've all been told, keep your phone in your pocket, use your watch. So uh, obviously, if you're doing something like Apple Pay and you have a watch, you can continue to do that. Uh, will you? What, what's going to be your experience like when you are wanting to interact with your phone but don't necessarily want to pull it out of your pocket in order to look at it, uh, doing things? I, I don't know how those... I assume it's going to be fairly seamless because this is Apple we're talking about, but um, I, I can foresee questions about how particular interactions work with uh, Face ID and the watch. Yeah, the, the, the watch is a great point because the, the watch is because it the watch has that it's already unlocked, right? Because it's touching your skin and, and things like that. So I, yeah, if you wear an Apple Watch, that whole Apple Pay thing is is probably a moot point. I will tell you the one usability aspect of the iPhone 10 that I'm really bummed about, and that is Control Center. I, I use Control yeah. Center all the time, uh, and the having to reach to that and I'm a left hand like I I'm right handed, but I actually use my phone with my left hand all the time. Yeah, me too. And to have to reach up to that far corner all the time uh i'm i'm a little bummed about that but you know it's again it's one of those things that's the price that had to be paid i mean something so things had to be moved and and that was one of them i'm a little sad that they didn't do the uh ipad thing where if you swipe and keep swiping all the way up to the top that control center doesn't kind of like slide in oh that's uh that's so confusing i i i, I i'm glad that it's a that. power user gesture but instead we're all going to be doing there's no more reachability either we're all going to have to stretch yep. ourselves <laughs> up claw, to the upper right hand corner yep. Yeah, so I, I was talking to Stephen uh, Trouton-Smith, the, one of the developers who was kind of deep in those firmware leaks that happened earlier this summer, then uh, very unfortunately for Apple, just a, a day or two before the event. And we're kind of going back and forth about the future of Touch ID. Right now, it's on the Mac, and I agree with Ben, like it would be amazing to have Face ID on the Mac. But, the, to, but Touch ID is still on all the iPads. It's on the 8 and 8 Plus. Do, do we see a world where Touch ID makes some sort of uh, comeback. You know, there were rumors that Samsung was trying to do a a thumbprint reader through the screen. They weren't able to do it, so they kind of glommed it on the back of their phones next to the camera, which is an unfortunate position. Apple chose not to do that. They just went with Face ID. There's no fingerprint sensor on the back. Say engineers figure it out. They can do it through the screen. Uh, What Steve was arguing was, Touch ID and Face ID could be sort of like a two-factor system. Like you put your thumb on the phone and look at it, and you sort of have a, a secondary approval process. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. I think my thought is that 
Touch ID will be on these these products until they can update them, until the technology becomes cheap enough to put it on something like the SE, and then it sort of fades into the distance. And I'm curious what what you guys think. It's kind of funny to talk about a technology that was just introduced on on one product, uh, how it's replacing a technology that's on all the other products. And obviously, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's the direction that they're going, and it's it's a worthy question to ask. But I think the one of the nice things about this. Apple sort of getting the iPhone 10 out beyond the other products and not and, and having features that are unique to it is they frankly get to see how it works in the wild and uh, that for somebody who's spending a thousand dollars may not be the way you want to think about your iPhone 10 as being a guinea pig you being a guinea pig with your iPhone 10 uh, but to some extent uh, those kinds of that kind of usability testing and uh, what the experience of Face ID versus Touch ID is going to be and and how quickly they want to roll that to the rest of their line that's going to be valuable information for Apple to have. That's a great point. I mean, my my initial sort of thought was, I mean, the rumors the, the rumors were very strong that that this was a relatively late decision. That's one of the reasons why the iPhone 10 is is late. I'm not sure I buy that, uh, I, I, but but let's let's presume it was. My inclination even then would be that Apple that is going to be all face ID. Like Apple is just going to go down this road. They're not going to add that back in, but. Your, your point's a very good one. I mean, maybe they w- the thing people don't realize is there's all sorts of data collected about how these devices are used by, by, the, by the operating system manufacturers, by, by, the device, by the device makers. It's all fully anonymized. Like, there's nothing that, that you know, whatever is connecting to any sort of person. But Apple will know like how often does it fail how often does someone have to like trigger the other thing like th- they will have an idea of of whether it is sort of worth pushing out more broadly or not and yeah i think that that you're right the decision probably hasn't been made because they will wait for the data to make it I do want to take a, a little moment to take the sidebar because Ben mentioned the tantalizing face ID on Mac, which Stephen wrote a blog post about at 512 Pixels. Um, yeah, we, all of us have been thinking since the Touch ID was added to the MacBook Pro, like, wow, how could we, you know, Touch Bar, okay, people don't love the Touch Bar, but everybody loves Touch ID on the Mac. It is amazing. If you ever use it, you're like, oh, this is so much better. Why can't we have this? And then you put two and two together and you think it would not be it wouldn't even not need to be miniaturized for like the iMac Pro or future iMacs to put that a sensor bar on the Mac and just have your Mac know who you are when you sit down and stay unlocked and then lock when you go away. Um, I don't know whether they're going to do that or not. It's a it's a real mystery about whether Apple would uh, try to bring this stuff. Although it's in the ballpark, right? Like iOS tech brought to the Mac seems to be one of the places where the where Apple has been pretty happy to invest that stuff in the Mac and roll iOS tech into the Mac. But I. I would love it. I, uh, rumor has it that there's a secure enclave chip in the iMac Pro. And yeah. so, you know, there's some there's some groundwork being laid there. I would, But that would be, as somebody who uses an iMac every day, like, I would love that feature. That would be great. Or on your laptop to flip it open and have it be like, oh, it's you. And that's it. And you're done. That would be great on the Mac, and, and too. It fits, it fits even better on the Mac in some respects. Because the thing with the phone is the phone, you interact with your fingers. And that's part of the reason why Touch ID was so great. Like, your finger, that's where your finger is going to be anyway, right? Whereas now, there's a little bit of awkwardness that you have to, you have to position it right and open your eyes and whatnot. Whereas the Mac is the exact opposite. The Mac is all about having this big screen that your head is always going to be in the same place, always looking in the same direction. And in this case, like it's almost a better fit for the Mac than it's for, whereas on the Mac with the Touch ID, it's a little bit of an awkward spot, right? You're going to put your hand in a place you don't usually put your hand. Now, I'm splitting very fine hairs, right? It's not like it's <laughs> hard to put your hand there. But there's a degree to which Face Face ID is even more compelling for the Mac than the phone. Uh, and then we remember that the Mac is like 10% 
percent of Apple's revenue, and it's not, it's probably not a massive priority. But hey, fingers crossed. That would be amazing. I, I'm I'm hoping for it. Yeah, and desktop uh, desktop Macs are an e- are a fraction of the uh, of the total too. But as somebody who uses one, having a uh, uh, I'm not gonna. I don't have an integrated keyboard or something on which Touch ID can go. But the Mac itself has a camera, and uh, I don't know. That would be a that would be a pretty cool upgrade. There's a whole other show about like how Apple prioritizes the Mac when it's just a tiny part of their business, but still good business. It's just tiny. It's very tiny, but probably <laughs> not today. Um, other thoughts about the tech that's in the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10? A lot of augmented reality talk, which is unsurprising. They did do kind of what I expected, which is talk up why this is the, the these phones are the perfect hardware for augmented reality stuff with uh, apparently factory calibration. I don't really know. Does that imply that there's a level of uh, alignment that they previously didn't think mattered uh, for photography, but they've realized mattered for AR? So they they're making those cameras more precisely well, aligned. It, it, I don't know. It's the it's the it's the it's the uh, it's the calibration is the sen- the camera and the gyroscope and the uh, there's one other sensor camera the accelerometer where those are ma- made sure that they're all in sync together. Ah. So that's the calibration that's happening is put, is putting those together because so, they, they work together. The way VR works is it works in what's called six D space um, at least the, on, on phone on phone VR. So there's three D like physical space and then the six D the, the other three D is the the yaw the roll and the uh, let's see the one like the way pitch, the phone yeah. actually moves yeah pitch thank you and, and so those basically the sensors of movement combine with the camera to have almost like a two a two factor idea of what's going on and one fills in for the other one's holes so making sure those are all working together that's the calibration Apple is talking about uh, what was actually I thought the most compelling from AR though was the iPhone 10 where it has that dot projector and and a depth projector that's actually additional hardware like google had google just came out with the basically ar kit uh you know remix uh i can't remember what it's called but but google had a previous the project tango a previous ar project and what made tango different was that tango required a depth camera or, or a depth uh i can't remember what, what the actual hardware is called but it's an additional piece of hardware that that is focused on measuring depth and what's interesting is that the ios 10 that front sensor has that that, that that bit. That's why by far the most compelling AR demonstration was the Snapchat one. I mean, right. that mask, the way it, it was perfectly aligned to the face was incredible. And that's because it had that extra sensor. So it didn't just have this, the 60 space. It also had the de- the additional sensor. And so as far as AR goes, it's actually the front facing cameras of the iOS 10 that are the most advanced sort of broadly distributed consumer hardware. I mean, it, it, in November anyway, once it ships. Yeah, lots of AR. The AR needs to go into selfie mode now. Is what is basically what we've learned. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. It's true. I mean, and what's interesting is, I mean, remember the original iPhone didn't even have a front-facing camera, and and believe it or not, there's a there's a there's a big company in China. Um, man, my, sorry for me, it's it's ten thirty at night. My my, my city. Uh, I believe it starts with an M. But their whole they just went. Their whole thing is selling selfie cameras, and they have they have software that does special software that's widely available that enhances your selfies, and then they they make money by selling cameras or selling selling phones that are focused on selfies and super tuned like front facing cameras and like there's this whole thing and what's interesting is apple has slowly but surely been catching up to this like the first front facing camera was terrible then it got a little better a little better every model they've been increasing even more rapidly in quality than the rear camera has and in some respects the ios 10 front facing camera from a megapixel perspective it's not comparable to the back but from the sort of 
stuff it can do because of those other sensors, it's actually, in some respects, the most advanced camera on, on a cell phone anywhere. Which is super interesting because they never really highlight that. And I'm sure that developers know and people who have to, who, who want to be able to do things with that camera know, but it's not the sort of thing where you say the selfie camera in our device or the FaceTime camera is super awesome when compared to the selfie camera that you can get in another phone. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, well... So I guess November, we'll, we'll know a lot more about the iPhone 10 because it is not going to ship uh, right away uh, next week like the iPhone 8 is. Um, before we move on, I wanted one last, uh, one last iPhone topic, which is the Qi charging that has been added, the wireless charging that it has been around on, on devices, mobile devices for quite a while, but Apple never showed much interest in it. And with the new glass-backed iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10, they are, you know, they, it's that's a, a bit, bit of hardware, a bit of materials that's more capable of doing something like this. And Apple is now embraced wireless charging. And I, I think also interesting in that they didn't entirely roll their own standard that if you if you have existing like uh, if at your cafe if there's a Qi charging station somewhere it will actually work with the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10 there there's no uh, kind of Apple only thing going on here which I thought was an interesting point of course Apple is also trying to extend the standard by inventing their own mat that charges multiple items and lets them talk together but it will also work with standard chargers so so uh, people who use apple stuff should uh should they be excited that there's wireless charging now is this a nice a nice thing now that apple has has finally decided that it's worth their attention I think that's the way to put it. It's a nice thing. It's not super awesome yet because there are certainly limits to how well wireless charging uh, will work, but f- the fact that they adhered to a standard, especially a standard that people who pay attention to wireless charging know about, but it's it's not something a lot of people have heard of. So Apple is in, in one sense ahead of the game. It's like, we know there's a standard, we're adhering to it, we're ready for it. We will allow uh, our devices to be charged by third-party products that exist or will exist later. And uh, when you're ready for wireless charging and when our technology has improved, uh, we're going to be there instead of coming from behind as they are sometimes accused of doing in, in other technologies. I, I'm, I'm going to go on the other side. I am extremely excited about wireless charging. Uh, uh, plugging that cord in all the time not only drives me up the wall but i i don't know what my problem is i I had never ever had to replace a 30 pin cord and for some reason i have to replace lightning cords like every two or three months because it just stops charging it doesn't fit quite right or the cord breaks where it might be i could not be more excited about about wireless charging i'm gonna buy chargers for for everywhere uh (laughs) i am i am exceptionally i mean this idea of just setting it down and not having to think about it i mean i'm also very absent-minded and and you know the idea like reducing any degree of friction including like remembering to plug in my stupid phone uh is is a win for me but I think it's going to be great, and I am I'm very excited about it. Oh, the the other thing about the standard thing is, I think the analogy I'd put for that mat and the way they're going to send it is, it's like the AirPods, right? Where AirPods are Bluetooth, but it's kind of like an enhanced Bluetooth where it does it does some extra stuff, and that I think that's probably the best way to think about what they're trying to push with with, with, with the pad sort of thing. And by the way, uh, uh, AirPod charging case, I'm, yeah. I'm very intrigued by this. How much is it going to cost? Uh, I I love the AirPods. I think it's one of the best products Apple's made in, in, in ages. And again, the idea of like coming home, taking my phone and AirPods in my pocket and just setting them down, I, it's, I, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about the, about the wireless charging. I don't know about the politics of wireless charging, but the way I was, I was interested by the exact phrasing uh, on stage of uh, that new 
Apple charger because the implication was Apple saw the Qi charging standard and had a vision for a product that couldn't work with it, engineered a solution that allowed it to do like what Apple wanted to do. And the implication is they kind of turned around to the standard body and said, you want this? Because we think this is uh, we think this is better. And, you know, that's not unprecedented. Apple does that all the time with open source projects. But for something like this, it's it's a new area for them where, you know, you've got a standard and you're motoring along. And it's OK. And then suddenly Apple appears and says, we're going to adopt your standard. And you're like, wow, that's really good for us. And then they say, also, we have some suggestions. <laughs> and you're like, OK, <laughs> right. lay it on me. And I hope that's the relationship there, because that is kind of a cool story that if the if the Qi standards evolve because Apple cares enough to give it some focus and find ways to improve it, then that benefits ultimately that may benefit everybody who uses those uh, charger mats uh, no matter whether they've got apple products or not which is also kind of cool so i like to see that let's uh take a break and i want to talk about the other uh other stuff at the apple event but first let me tell you about a sponsor this episode also sponsored by timing this is the automatic time tracking app for the mac i'm using it uh i know that it sounds boring tracking your time it's like counting it's like watching paint dry watching grass grow uh and 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 worse it's fiddly you got to start and stop timers which interrupts your workflow so can you time the amount of time you spend tracking your time and does that count as productive time can you bill that time you can't i'm spoiler you can't do it uh why do all of that timing doesn't make you do any of that it automatically watches what you do tracks the amount of time you spend on each app on each document on each website it doesn't just say oh you were in the browser it says you were on this site you were on this site for this amount of time at this time and it means you don't have to start or stop timers ever again it uh, goes way beyond billing hours it shows you exactly when you were using apps and websites when you slacked off how productive you've been so you know what areas are it's real talk it's some cold water on your workflow you're like okay i need to improve my productivity look i kind of went into a uh, a reverie there for 15 minutes maybe i should work on that pay attention to that um, work doesn't just happen on your mac that's why timing's uh, timeline automatically makes suggestions for filling in gaps in your timeline it can ask you what you did when you were away from your computer so you'll never forget to enter in a meeting again so I, like i said i've been using it it's really been giving me some insight into those moments where i am staring at uh staring into space staring out my window versus getting back to writing and talking on podcasts uh and i haven't had to do a thing which is the thing i hate the most about other systems i've tried is having to remember to log something and say i'm starting this task i'm ending this task i just don't work that way i never remember it and now i don't have to worry about it so download a free 14-day trial today and track your own time for two weeks and see what you learn Go to timingapp.com slash download and you will save 10% when you buy timing. Stop worrying about time and focus on doing your best work instead. Okay, uh, before we move on to topic number three, I like to take a break every week and tell you about a story you might have missed, something that flew under the radar, but is probably worth mentioning. And, you know, with Stephen and I doing this podcast, you knew that uh, we we're going to try to sneak some space stuff in every now and then. And that's why I want to mention the NASA's Cassini probe, which launched 20 years ago and has been exploring Saturn and its moons for 13 years, uh, orbits and orbits and orbits and orbits like a big yarn ball, is coming to a fiery end this week on friday early in the morning uh, american time it will plunge into the atmosphere of saturn 
In its decade plus at Saturn, it discovered that the moon Titan bears similarities to Earth. It's the only other place with liquid on its surface in the solar system, which is pretty amazing. It's not water. It's <laughs> it's it's much weirder than that. Uh, it flew through a stream of water expelled by the moon Enceladus. We didn't even know that there were geysers on Enceladus, but it uh, it found out and then had to alter its plans during its mission to take a look at the water uh, that could be spewing out of an under surface sea that could harbor life pretty amazing so much more incredible photography of saturn and its rings um backlit saturn which we don't get to see from the earth just spectacular amazing stuff and of course it's crashing into the planet why are they crashing into the planet the answer is it has no more propellant it was never intended to come home and the last thing they want to do is have it potentially crash somewhere if it's got any microbes living on it still from earth and contaminate those places that might have other forms of life so instead it will go deep deep down into the gassy depths of saturn to be crushed and recycled as i don't know part of saturn it's a fitting end so goodbye little buddy thanks cassini i i appreciated that uh the sticks the 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 band yes tweeted uh in your final hours congrats to nasa's cassini saturn on amazing science to the end which uh the cassini saturn twitter account quoted and said of course uh domo, domo arigato <laughs> <laughs> see and what they should have said is don't let it end. <laughs> I listened to that album. <laughs> I was a teenager in the 80s. You know, there were a lot of options. <laughs> I don't have a sticks quote, but I, I will say it, I commend anyone to look at the Cassini site because NASA always does such a great job, not only just of photographing the things they do, but of documenting the progress of their probes. You can see how long Cassini has before it crashes to its fiery death and depth. And I, I don't know. I think that's great. I got a lot of desktop wallpapers from Cassini, is all I'm saying. And NASA makes them available. They're beautiful. Oh, very nice. On a 5K iMac, I got a big Saturn. It's really good. Uh, anyway, job well done. Let's get some more probes out there. We're entering, entering a lull of outer solar system space probes. I want more outer solar system space probes, please. Um, Okay, let's move on to our last topic, which I'm rolling two, two, two things together. Also announced this week by Apple and worth taking apart. I know it's all Apple this week. Those people who listen, who are like, oh, all the Apple coverage. It's like, yeah, this is the week to talk about Apple, like of all the weeks. So we're going to talk about the Apple Watch Series 3 and the Apple TV 4 Okay, so let's start with the Apple Watch. Apple Watch Series 3 with cellular, now an option, cellular data built in uh, for the first time into the Apple Watch. And I thought the reactions to this product were really interesting because on Twitter, I sort of innocuously treated, tweeted, uh, this is great. Like, uh, finally, an Apple Watch with cellular, it's great. And I got all these replies who were like, it's not great. It's stupid. Like, um, okay, I, I think people are having a hard time getting their head around this concept that sometimes maybe leaving your iPhone at home and still ha- being reachable in case of an emergency or something is not a bad thing. But I'm interested in your takes on the Apple Watch with cellular. Ben, what do you think? Well, one, I think that this is, nar- narrowly speaking, this is a real payoff for Apple, you know, the mistake Apple, Apple made with the, with the Apple Watch originally, and clearly cellular was always in the long-term plans, yeah. but they started out like two, two grand, and it was, it was, it was going to do all these five gazillion things, and it has this app launcher, and it kind of looked like an iPhone, and, and what they needed to do, and what they did the next year, was focus it and make it clear and understandable, what is this for? And it's for health and fitness. And what, in this case, that helps them 
make clear what the cellular bit is for. While you go for a run, you don't have to have that big bulky iPhone in, in a fanny pack or on, on your shoulder anymore. Because you, you, if you need to be reached or something happens, you, you now have the phone. And it's such a natural progression to adding the features. And, you know, I went back actually to the, to the original iPhone. And some of my favorite commercials that Apple ever made were those first iPhone commercials where they said, this is the web and this is how you do this and this is how you do that. And at the end, it, the phone would ring. Because it's a reminder, this is something you're familiar with and you understand. It's a phone, but it also does this other stuff. And what was fascinating was that the teaser video for the watch was actually the same thing, but it was almost flipped on its head, where you have someone doing a health and fitness activity, in this case, you know, surfing, which is <laughs> perhaps most people don't do, but, but it's still certainly health and fitness. It shows the waterproof nature of it. And then what happens? It rings, right? And in this case, it's, oh, this is what you're familiar with. It's health and fitness. Oh, and by the way, it also has cellular capability. And and so it was really, I think, a great moment for the watch and its sort of progression within Apple in getting to this point and the sort of struggle they've had to get here because it's it's a, it's a product that makes so much sense in, in my estimation. And I, I'm with you, Jason. I'm quite enthused about it. And, and I actually, I know what you're talking about because I tweeted the same thing. Like, I think this is a real game changer <laughs> for the watch and, you know, lots of skepticism, but hey, I mean, we'll see. We, I think people are going to, it's going to take some time to get their head around the idea of not bringing your phone everywhere with you when you go somewhere i mean i literally don't leave the house without my iphone ever because i i I, everybody expects me to stay in touch with them and i'm not talking about just your mean boss i'm my own mean boss that's nice um but that the fact that um that my family needs to reach me or what if if i'm going for a run and i have i fall or i have a heart attack or something like that um i i having my phone with me i know i can call for help right uh but with the cellular iPhone or cellular Apple Watch, suddenly you have the option of leaving your phone behind and still being connected. And that's going to take uh, some people some time to understand that because I think we've all become, over the last 10 years, just completely trained to always bring our phones. And that if you don't have that thing in your pocket, you're out of touch. And if you want to leave it behind and still be in touch, you can. You don't have to, but you can. I think that's a big... Just oh, oh, it's going to be a change in how we think about how we use technology. That suddenly the iPhone doesn't have to be always present, and that's that's a big ch- change. We're all used to it now. I think a lot of the skepticism might actually have to do with the fact that you're going to need to buy a cellular plan add-on, it's and true. That, that is an, an additional cost. And that for a lot of people who haven't got their brains around why they would want a cellular watch, uh, that seems like. That seems like a lot to ask. Uh, I I never had a cellular plan on an iPad. Either I always had Wi-Fi, or I did. I would make do, and it never bothered me. I think the watch, the the case for having cellular on a watch, as you've just described it, is far more compelling to would be far more compelling to me and to a lot of people, even than putting cellular access on an iPad, unless you're really doing something where you're, where in the field you need to get you know data back to where it to, to the to the mothership of some kind. Um, and I think as we figure out what carriers are going to charge for those plans and as people as you say come up with routines that involve leaving their phones at home or just being even if it's not leaving your phone uh, at home while you run a mile away even you know you, you walk down the street to visit a neighbor or you uh, walk to another floor in the in your office building and you can leave your phone on the desk there are any number of reasons that you might want to 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 stay connected at least partially connected and the nice thing about the watch of course is you can stay connected in terms of getting notifications you don't have 
have to feel like you respond, but necessarily if you don't need to. Uh, but you you have the option to just sort of monitor what's going on. I'll tell you a secret right now as we're talking. There's a Slack channel on my phone that I'm watching because I've got some stuff going on in my world. And um, it, I, I might not need to have my phone in the little studio on silent uh, if I had a cellular Apple Watch. The, the other the other thing that I, that is really and we saw this kind of coming last year when when Apple did the iPhone 7, they also had the AirPods. I wrote a piece on Stratechery called Beyond the iPhone that really kind of like, in many respects, people were kind of down in that keynote, if you remember. And I actually found it really sort of impressive, in part because of the AirPods and how they paired with the Apple Watch, because you could see this coming. You could see this world where where you can leave the iPhone behind and you can walk imagine having AirPods and a watch like that's getting a lot closer to the to the world of her where right. you can just go around and just seamlessly interact with this assistant that's with you and the reason why I find that sort of inspiring and impressive that Apple's going in this direction is one of course they're the ones who can get there first because they're so good at this and oh the thing we didn't tell the iPhone that we should have talked about is the degree to which Apple's control of their own silicon and ability to to integrate between the OS all the way down to the chip level influence almost every single new feature they have yep, whether it be camera whether it be the, the front the front facing the face ID like everything depended on Apple owning all the way down to the thing but that applies to the watch too the fact that they can ship this watch that's I mean, there are cellular watches out there the app the, the apple watch is smaller in every single dimension that than any of those of those out there it's, it's just it's a it's a hugely forward and what's interesting about this though is a world where you're not touching your device where you're not interacting with your device with your with like your fingers that's a world that's a little harder for apple apple excels at this sort of tactile excels at the touch and the feel, whether that be the physical objects themselves or whether it be interacting with what's on the screen. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that separates iPhone and Android for going on a decade now is things like scrolling. Like Apple is just, is just better at stuff like that. And whereas you get a world, if I could just talk to one assistant, I'd rather talk to the Google assistant. And, and the fact that Apple is kind of rush, running you know, straight on into this world is I think in many ways admirable because it, it's going to be a tougher world for them than the iPhone world was. Uh, before we go, I, very quickly, I wanted to at least touch on the 4K Apple TV. It's like the Apple TV, but it does 4K HDR. Um, I, I think this is an expected product. I think a lot of us hoped that it actually was announced last year, but it got announced this year. It isn't pretty dramatic on price. The Apple TV is still way more expensive than its competition. So you buy an Apple TV because you really want the Apple uh, part of it because otherwise you will buy a fire tv or a roku or a chromecast to do 4k but the thing that i noted and ben i read your newsletter uh, which people should should subscribe to at strategy because it's awesome i am a subscriber um the uh one of the interesting things about the apple tv was actually the content deal it's always the content deals and in this case apple made this deal that i was really surprised by which is if you've got hd content that you bought on itunes guess what it's just going to get upgraded to 4k hdr and it's not a problem. You don't have to rebuy it, which I think is Apple wants it to be that way, right? Because nobody wants to pick formats and stuff. It's like you bought it, you have it. Now it's going to be in 4K. Uh, with one exception, which is Disney is not part of the announcement. Disney, whose CEO sits on Apple's board. Uh, ben, what, what's your what's your read on that? It seems bizarre to me that Disney of all... Uh, other, then again, Disney you know, probably wants its money and knows it can extract more money from a 4K version of its stuff. I don't know. Well, the context is Disney, you know, Disney for a long time had a strategy 
you know, put their content everywhere, which is a, which is a very rational strategy. And that's the reason they often led with Apple with these content deals. But they announced a big shift last quarter. They're going to launch their own streaming service where they're going to have content exclusive to that streaming service. And, you know, I, I speak from experience. I run a subscription site. Like if you want to run a subscription site, you have to have content that's exclusive to that subscription. And if Disney really wants to make their subscription service successful one of the best ways to do it is make it so that the best disney content uh, you know is only available on the disney subscription service so we'll see i mean maybe that's not a consideration the difference is apple's not like an, a streaming service it's it's actually yeah, it's selling all, it's all movies. A purchase right 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 which so disney might rationalize that you know that's a different market and 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 that's okay and maybe they'll come to a deal but it might be it might be that Disney has just fundamentally changed its mind about how it distributes the content. So I, I'm I'm very very interested in this. I mean I cover media a lot. I've spent a lot of time on Disney in particular. So I'm very intrigued to see how this plays out. And there's definitely a possibility that Disney movies just are never are never in this deal. It's interesting that they chose to highlight 4K in the keynote since it was a feature. I remember doing a podcast with some uh, friends who love other platforms, shall we say, when the Apple TV first came, the, the Apple TV uh, fourth generation first came out, and I was asked, where's the 4K? And it sort of caught me off guard because I don't have 4K television and I don't cover that sort of stuff uh, in, in my in my work life. Um, and, and But they were right. Uh, it's a feature that other devices uh, at that time were rolling out. And the, the best case I can think of for Apple highlighting it at a keynote, especially when they didn't talk at all about iOS 11 or Sierra, High Sierra, any of those things, is just that 4K television is really pretty. And of course, you did have these the content uh, deal that Jason talked about to, to advertise. But it is kind of interesting that Apple would uh, reserve valuable keynote time to uh, announce a product that is essentially uh, catching up. Yeah, I mean, they, they, well, they also raised the price. I mean, That's it's true. $30 <laughs> more expensive than the previous one. I mean, a lot of these price prices probably have to do with memory prices right. that have gone up massively over the last year, uh, both DRAM and especially NAND, the, the, the storage RAM. But, you know, I, I this is, is a lost product in my mind. Like, I don't understand like unless you really unless you are connected to iTunes or you really want AirPlay which i mean frankly is not compared to the way things like Chromecast works where i mean the way Chromecast works is very very different where you basically the Chromecast streams directly from the internet you're not going from device to to the thing it's just in my estimation is such a better experience and I don't use the Apple TV anymore. I mean, I, there's one show, uh, my, my family likes to watch Project Runway. So we buy Project Runway on iTunes. That's the one, that's the only time we use the Apple TV. The rest of the time, it, it's all, it's all Chromecast. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, like 4K, okay, it's, it's fine. Uh, but I, I don't know what this product is doing. It seems to be the least compelling one on the market. And unless you want iTunes content, in this case, I guess Apple will take an extra 30 bucks from you. Yeah, uh, I really expected them to cut the price and be more aggressive on the low end uh, Apple TV uh, just to get in the game with its competitors. But I, Apple doesn't seem to be interested in that. So yeah, it'll, it's, uh, it's a weird one. Well, we should uh, wrap this up before we all turn into pumpkins. Um, so I, just before we go, I will point out what to look out for in the week ahead. Well, uh, the echo of the bang of this week will happen next week when 
iOS 11 ships to everybody on Monday and the iPhone 8 arrives next uh, weekend. But until then, we'll have another edition of Download next week and, and we'll talk about stuff that's maybe not about Apple. Wouldn't that be a change of pace? But that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Ben Thompson, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, Stratechery, S-T-R-A-T-E-C-H-E-R-Y, strategyandtech.com. Uh, that's where I write and I have a one free article a week. And then, as you mentioned, mentioned three for pay. But start with the free one. That's fine. Or I'm on Twitter at, at Ben Thompson. And Shelly Brisbane, where can people find the stuff that you do? I'm at Brisbane.net, B-R-I-S-B-I-N.net. I'll also highlight my book, iOS Access for All, which is a book all about accessibility for the iOS platform. And that's at iosaccessbook.com. And I'm Shelly on Twitter, in case you forget any of that, S-H-E-L-L-Y. And thanks to you both. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks to Stephen Hackett, my producer. Thanks, Stephen. You bet. I've been your host, Jason Snell. Until next week, we will watch the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.